0: chapter eighteen of what the boys did over there by henry fox this librivox recording is in the public domain from england to france and back by private george oxton number eight one six eight zero tenth battalion c e f it was the latter end of the month of april nineteen fifteen that the thirty-second canadian battalion received orders to embark from the port of folkestone on the south coast of england for the western front by reason of the fact that the canadians had suffered great losses at the first battle of ypres our order to leave england came at an hour's notice but the regiment to a man was extremely anxious to get over and get busy While we were on board our time was occupied by assembling our new issue of web equipment Which we had practically thrown at us prior to leaving our huts at Risborough barracks Shorncliff Consequently some of us found we were short a portion of the accoutrement while others had parts to spare being sociable we were all able to make a complete rig-out the night was of the pitch-black sort but thanks to the science of navigation and sea and air escort we docked at boulogne france safe and sound but in a drizzly rain As long as i live i'll never forget the peculiar odor that filled the air while marching up the long steep winding road that led from the docks to the camp it seemed miles and more miles long but thank goodness we arrived at last to spend our first night on damp ground or i had better say cold mud it's very true we had canvas over us but I'm sure the tents had just been thrown up, for it was quite as dry outside as inside. I had no sooner put my head on my knapsack when that poor miserable little bugler bellowed out his early morning song. On April the twenty seventh, we entrained for parts unknown. At least we poor privates didn't know where we were bound for. Probably our company commander knew and if he was in the humor the sergeant-major might have known also After traveling all night and part of the next day packed in cattle cars like the proverbial sardines We arrived at Popringe The name was the largest portion of the town that the German gunners saw fit to leave Detraining here we made a rapid march to within a mile of Ypres. Here we joined our respective regiments. I went to the 10th Battalion. It had then earned the name of the Fighting Tenth. This night we dug ourselves in along two sides of a large field. Each man dug a shallow hole large enough to lie down comfortably in. Owing to my height. I had to dig one at least six feet in length. I Was wishing at that particular time that I happened to be that poor miserable little bugler As he was a little more than five feet tall The next morning I for one was up before Reveley i found it much more comfortable walking round in the cool of the morning than lying in a mud-hole with only a great-coat within a mile of me i imagined something always happened to those lovely army blankets for they were generally conspicuous by their absence the evening of the twenty-eighth was reasonably fine when we answered roll-call prior to going up the line Here we found ourselves in the last line of reserves, the idea being to get used to the heavies. At times the shells became far too familiar with us. Consequently, I lost some of my best pals. We spent a week like this on the Isère Canal Bank, living like the old cave dwellers, only we were not there long enough, and it wasn't peaceful enough, to construct any labyrinths our work consisted of making shelters after a jack johnson had obliterated them on the move again this time to billets about seven miles south of bayul it took a full night to march the distance with full kit the roads didn't appear to get any softer as time went by but still one heard the everlasting Kipling's boots 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 as We had ten minutes each hour to rest. I was absolutely Unconscious for nine and a half minutes of that time on the 19th of May we were on foot again I Had a feeling it would not be to the last line of reserves this time Neither it was for by the next night, we were heading for the front line trenches one mile east of the village of Festubert. At dusk, we traversed communication trenches to our destination, the front line on the edge of no man's land. At last, after training and waiting for over seven months, We relieved the Berkshires and took up our posts along with the Little Black Devils, as the 8th Battalion is called, in a trench which was only captured from the Germans the previous day. The portion of the trench we held was dug in a roadway, and being fairly high ground, was comparatively dry. This speaks wonders for a trench for we plodded through much mud and water to reach it Every second man was detailed to mount guard While the remainder fought for 40 winks then relieved guard The first two nights were uneventful though a heavy artillery duel was the standing program the third night the 21st we were not going to give fritzy a chance to come across but we were going to push him back if a man tells you he was not nervous going over the top for the first time he lies i felt nervous though i never confessed it and i wager everyone else felt the same way as we had to wait about two hours After being told we were going over. At eight o'clock, we were sent up to a small communication trench about halfway across no man's land on the side toward the enemy. It cut across diagonally. There was a good sized gap on which some snipers had their rifles trained. At this point, we lost a few of our company. It was a case of running the gauntlet for each man who passed it. All of us had to pass it three different times, for in our first advance the order was cancelled, so we had to return till later on. About nine o'clock at dusk, we finally went ahead to the end of the communication trench. Here we branched out on either side and spread out in open order to charge. By this time my nervousness had disappeared My mind was set on the one object of getting someone And I gripped my gun and prayed for all the strength I could muster With a wild cry of Lusitania. We received the orders to go All I could do was yell to the boys to give them Beans for I was knocked down and found my right leg was half blown off Just below the thigh if the boys hadn't taken their objective that night I should have been a prisoner instead of a hospital case for over 20 months in England I'm just a plain buck private who fought with Canada's sons in a regiment of the maple leaf That made it hot for the Huns I'm just a plain buck private and fought on the side of right To serve the world for democracy and beat the hunnish might I'm just a plain buck private from the land of ice and snow and gave all I could for my country to help to vanquish the foe It was probably an hour or two after the advance that some of the men came to see what they could do for us in my particular case the shrapnel which had penetrated and completely shattered the right femur had also numbed the nerves therefore i was left conscious however one of our battalion sergeants tied up the top of the leg for me with a length of cord which i was always in the habit of carrying four of the machine gunners who had just returned from the new trench made an attempt to carry me into the old communication trench but their good intentions were completely frustrated by the company captain a real cantankerous sort who leveled his revolver at me and declared he would shoot if the boys took me in though i felt sore in more ways than one i came to the conclusion that he was perfectly right as it might have blocked the trench to the reserves coming up the only thing to do was put me on the ground again here i was expecting another shell every minute but providence evidently thought i had received my share as i was free from any more shells though they were bursting close at hand continually About 2 a.m. our battalion stretcher-bearers managed to reach the position where many more, with myself, were lying. The shelling had then subsided to a great extent, making it possible to continue the work of carrying out the wounded. I knew one of the three men who came alongside of me with a perfectly good-looking stretcher. Though the way was long and very rocky, we finally arrived at the first-aid dressing station. After resting here for probably an hour, I was conveyed in one of the London Scottish ambulances about five miles to a field hospital. I saw many of the boys here. Most of them appeared to be walking cases. The next thing I knew, I was placed on the operating table where I smelled ether for the first time. I remember the doctor saying, be perfectly still now and breathe naturally. After that, I knew no more till the job of inserting numerous rubber tubes through the leg was finished. Having to spend two nights on ambulances and trains, I arrived at a British base hospital in Boulogne. I remember the people cheering as our train pulled in, but I wasn't in the mood for caring what they did. The treatment was one of the best in this hospital, though I only remained in it 14 days. In the bed next to mine, there was a Scotchman who kept yelling continually. His leg had been amputated, so I couldn't see what he had to kick about. Nevertheless it made it quite impossible to get any rest at all on The morning of June 3rd the doctor marked me out which meant that I was going to blighty. I Hardly realized what it meant then Again, I was on the table this time to cut an abscess and to put a cumbersome iron splint on me I think they called it a hodgson's splint one of those affairs that extended down two sides of the body to the feet it took up a lot of room so much so that i had to have a ford ambulance all to myself consequently at the boat's side i was taken for an officer and treated as one this i didn't object to in the least the ebert set sail soon after And about two hours afterward we were in Dover where we entrained in a regular hospital train I was marked for Norwich in the county of Norfolk a short distance from the East Coast The night of June 5th our train pulled into Norwich station where the Red Cross Ambulance conveyed us to our hospital I found myself in a military ward of the General Hospital of Norwich, but only for a few minutes. They discovered that the beds were too small for both myself and the splint, so I was shifted to another ward where I was put to bed and became very much attached to this same bed for ten long months, undergoing nine more operations in the hope of saving the limb. They eventually took it off, but I always have the consolation of knowing that I am far better off than a good many others. Editor's Note The verses embodied in this story are in no way changed, but are printed exactly as Mr. Oxton delivered them to me. HLF End of Chapter 18